Chapter Two, Part Four of Mortish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mortish by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter Two, Part Four. All the spring until war was declared, she was restless and discontented and she took to long trips in the car by herself, returning moodier than ever. But with the announcement of war, she found work to do. She made enlisting speeches everywhere, and was very successful, because Tish has a magnetic and compelling eye, and she would fix on one man of the crowd, and talk at him, and to him, until all the men around were watching him. Generally, with everyone looking, he was ashamed not to come forward, and Tish would take him by the arm and lead him in to the recruiting station. It was on one of these occasions that we saw the young man of the blackberry cordial again. Tish saw him first, from the tail of the wagon she was standing in. She fixed him with her eye at once, and a man standing near him said, "'Go on in, boy. You're as good as in the trenches already.' She landed me yesterday, but I've got six toes on one foot. Blessed if she didn't try to take me to a hospital to have one cut off. Now, said Tish, does anyone wish to ask any questions? I saw the blackberry cordial person take a step forward. I would like to ask you one, he said. How do you reconcile blackberry cordial with the WCTU? Tish went white with anger, and would no doubt have flayed him with words, as our blackberry cordial is made from her own grandmother's recipe, and a higher-principled woman never lived. But unluckily, the driver of the furniture wagon we were standing in had returned without our noticing it, and drove off at that moment taking us with him. It was about this time that Charlie Sands came to see me one day, looking worried. Look here, he said. What's this about my having appendicitis? Well, you ought to know, I replied rather tartly. Don't ask me if you have pain. But I haven't, he said, looking aggrieved. I'm all right. I never felt better. He then said that once, when a small boy, he had been taken with a severe attack of pain following a picnic when he had taken considerable lemonade and pickles, followed by ice cream. I had forgotten it entirely, he went on. But the other day Aunt Tish recalled the incident, and suggested that I get my appendix out. It wouldn't matter if she had let it go at that. But she sat on it. I'm awakened up any morning and find it gone. I could only stare at him, for he is her favorite nephew and I could not believe that she would forcibly immolate him on a bed of suffering. I used to think she was fond of me, he continued, but she's, well, she's positively gruesome about the thing. She's talked so much about it that I began to think I have got a pain there. I'm not sure I haven't got it now. Well, I couldn't understand it. I knew what she thought of him, had she not, when she fell out of the tree, immediately left him all her property? I told him about that, and indeed about the entire incident, 
except the secret in the barn. He grew very excited toward the end, however, where we met the blackberry cordial person and interrupted me. I know it from there on, he said. Only I thought Culver had made it up, especially about the gun being leveled at him, and the machine in the creek bed. He saw my paper. Nice boy, too. Do you mean to say? But I might have known, of course. He then laughed for a considerable time, although I do not consider the incident funny. But when I told him about Mr. Culver's impertinent question at the recruiting station, he sobered. "'You tell her to keep her hands off him,' he said. "'I need him in my business, and it won't take so much to send him off to war, "'because he's had a disappointment in love, "'and I'm told that he walks out in front of automobiles daily, "'hoping to be struck down and make the girl sorry.' "'I consider her a very sensible young woman,' I observed. "'But he was already back to his appendix. "'You see,' he said, my Aunt Letitia has a positively uncanny influence over me, and if I have it out, I can't enlist. No scars taken. I put down my knitting. Perhaps that is the reason she wants it done, I suggested. By George, he exclaimed. Well, that was the reason. I may as well admit it now. Tish is a fine and spirited woman and as brave as a lion, but it was soon evident to all of us that she was going to keep Charlie Sands safe if she could. She was continually referring to his having been a sickly baby, and I'm quite sure she had convinced herself that he had been. She spoke, too, of a small cough he had, as indicating weak lungs, and was almost indecently irritated when the chest specialist said that it was from smoking and that if he had any more lung space, the rest of his organs would have had to move out. One way and another she kept him from enlisting for quite a time, maintaining that to run a newspaper and keep people properly informed was as patriotic as carrying a gun. I remember that on one occasion, when he had at last decided to join the Navy and was going to Washington, Tish took a very bad attack of indigestion, and nothing quieted her until after train time but to have Charlie Sands beside her, feeding her peppermint and hot water. Then at last a draft bill was passed, and she persuaded him to wait and take his chance. We were at a Red Cross class, being taught how to take foreign bodies out of the ear, when the news came. Tish was not paying much attention, because she considered that if a soldier got a bullet or a shrapnel in his ear, a syringe would not help him much. She had gone out of the room, therefore, and Aggie had just had a beam put in her auditory canal, and was sure it would swell before they got it again, when Tish returned. She said the bill had passed, and that the age limit was thirty-one. Mrs. Ostermeyer, who was using the syringe, let it slip and shot a stream of water into Aggie's right eye. Thirty-one, she said. Well, I suppose that includes your nephew, Miss Tish. Not at all, said Tish. He will have his thirty-second birthday on the 5th of June, and he probably won't have to register at all. It's likely to be July before they're ready. Oh, the 5th of June, said Mrs. Ostermeyer, 
and gave Aggie another squirt. Now Tish and I have talked this over since, and it may only be a coincidence, but Mrs. Ostermeyer's cousin is married to a congressman from the West, and she sends the Ostermeyers all his speeches. Mr. Ostermeyer sends on his sermon, too, in exchange, and every now and then Mrs. Ostermeyer comes running in to Tish with something delivered in our national legislature which she claims was conceived in our pulpit. Anyhow, when the draft day was set, it was the 5th of June. Aggie and I went to Tish at once, and found her sitting very quietly with the blinds down, and Hannah sniveling in the kitchen. "'It's that woman,' Tish said. "'When I think of the things I've done for them, and the way I've headed lists, and served church suppers, and made potato salad, and packed barrels, it makes me sick.' Aggie sat down beside her and put a hand on her knee. "'I know, Tish,' she said. "'Mr. Wiggins was set on going to the Spanish War. "'He said that he could not shoot, "'but that he would be valuable as an observer from church towers and things, "'because he was used to being in the air. "'He would have gone, too, but—' "'If he goes,' Tish said, "'he will never come back. "'I know it.' I've known it ever since I ran over that black cat the other day. Well, we had to leave her, as Aggie was buying wool for the Army and Navy League. We went out, very low in our minds. What was our surprise, therefore, on returning late that afternoon, to find Tish cheerfully hoeing in the garden she had planted in the vacant lot next door, while Hannah followed her and gathered up in a basket the pieces of brick, broken bottles, and buried bones that Tish unearthed. "'You poor dear,' Aggie said, going toward her. "'I know just how you feel. I—' "'Get out!' Tish yelled in a furious tone. "'Look what you're doing. Great heavens, don't you see what you've done? That was a potato plant.' We tried to get out, although I could see nothing but a few weeds. But she yelled at us every moment, and at last I gave it up. "'I'd rather stay here, Tish,' I said, "'if you don't mind. I can keep the dogs away, and along in the autumn. When it's safe to move, you can take me home, or put me in a can along with the other garden stuff.' Here Tish fired a brick at Hannah's basket, but struck her in the kneecap instead and down she went on what Tish said was six eggplants. In the resulting conversation, I escaped and went up to Tish's sitting-room. Tish followed us soon after, and jerked the window shades to the top. "'There's nothing like getting close to nature,' she said. "'I feel like a different woman, after an hour or so of the soil.' She then took Hannah's basket and placed it on the window-sill overlooking the vacant lot, explaining that she used its contents to fling at dogs, cats, and birds below. It makes a little extra work for Hannah, she commented, but it's making a new woman of her. It would be good for you, too, Lizzie. There's nothing like bending over to reduce the abdomen. But Aggie, having come to mourn, proceeded to do it. To think, she said, that if they had only made it a day later, dear Charlie would have been exempt. 
It's too tragic, Tish. I don't know what you're talking about, said Tish in a cold tone. He does not have to register. He was born at seven in the morning, June 5th. In the evening, Tish, said Aggie gently. I was there, you know, and I remember. Tish gave her a terrible look. Of course you would know, she observed icily. But as I was in the room, and recalled distinctly going out and telling old Amanda, the cook, about breakfast, supper, said Aggie firmly. You were excited, naturally, but I was in the hall when you came out, and I was expecting my first gentleman caller, which no girl ever forgets, Tish. I remember that Amanda was hooking my dress, which was very tight, because we had waistlines in those days, and I wanted— Aggie, Tish thundered. He was born early in the morning of June 5th. He will be thirty-two years of age early in the morning of registration day. And if he tries to register, I shall be on hand with the facts. Well, whether she was right or not, she was convinced that she was, and it is useless to argue with her under those circumstances. Luckily, she heard a dog in the lot just then, and threw down a broken bottle and some bricks at him, and the woman in the apartment below raised the window and threatened to report her to the Humane Society. But as usual, Tish was more than her equal. "'Come right up, then,' she said, "'because I am a member of the Humane Society, "'and have been for twenty years. "'I consider throwing bricks at that dog "'as patriotic a duty as killing a German any day.' Here, by accident, the basket slid off the window-sill, and Tish closed the window violently. "'It hit her on the head,' she said, in what I fear was an exultant tone. I would have done it on purpose, but I guess it's no sin to be thankful. End of chapter 2, part 4. Recording by Winna Hathaway, in Fayetteville, North Carolina.